Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 77 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Would you Adam and Eve it? Another nuclear apocalypse. And this one's due in 2013. Best head for the tube, people. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And Carl Moon. Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome one and all, and thank you to James and the gang for helming and putting out the Dark Souls podcast last issue. Pleasure. Um, those who listen to our issues as they come out in contiguous order will have heard that one by now, possibly. Um, looking forward to seeing the download figures on Sunday. I think pretty much our most requested show, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. And uh, some, some have even said it's the best one yet, which oh. is obviously a massive... <laughs> Massive kick in my bollocks, but uh, no, it's fantastic that we can leave the show in the capable hands of the, uh, you know, the performing monkeys. So, uh, <laughs> and perform we shall, master. Indeed, and I'm learning about Dark Souls, so that's a good thing. Yeah, it's too. made me want to play it, and now that's 70 hours of my life going to disappear at some point. Uh, so here we are, Metro 2033. Um, this game came out, I believe. I haven't even got this up, but I remember buying it in March 2010, uh, which is now over three years ago. Can you believe it? Um, I bought it on launch day uh, at £40. Wow. I, I had a good feeling about it. Um, played it a little bit, and then I got stuck. I was only playing on, I think I was playing on normal difficulty, mm. and we'll talk about the difficulty settings in a while, because it's, it's done in an interesting way. Um, and I got a, l- a little bit hacked off with it. Uh, there was this one section that I just kept doing over and over again. Um, it's been well documented on this podcast and others that I'm not the biggest fan of stealth games, and I was finding this particular section, uh, I was low on ammo, this is another recurring theme. Um, and... Uh, and I just kept getting killed and in the end I got fed up and I traded it in while it was still worth a decent amount of money uh, and I later borrowed it the following year from Carl I believe um, after we met up and I did eventually play it through just on easy just got the bad ending and again we'll talk about the the two endings later in the show Um, and so I have yes I've played it and completed it albeit once through and on easy Tony? Um, I played it this week um but it's it's one of those games where a lot of people have talked about it. It's it it's one of those hidden gem games. Yet you see it everywhere. Whenever you go into a game shop, it's always there in a the second hand department. It's got a really striking cover as well. So always see it pop up. And I know Carl's obviously been a big fan of it in the past and has implored me to uh, to play it. But uh, I, I just just one of those ones. There's never enough time to play everything. And it, 
you know, I like my post-apocalyptic stuff, so mm. it would be a natural uh, fit for me. But uh, and in the end, I think we were both discussing that, you know, the forthcoming Kane route schedule, and we said let's stick that on there due to last light coming. But we both, you know, I want to play the game, so good as excuses any. So yeah, I only played it this week, three years after the release. So I played it on 360, I should say. Um, I, I just had the the briefest of goes. I've had the the, version, the PC version on Steam for a while now. Um, you played it on PC. Yep. Did you have any uh, V-Sync-related issues? No, I mean, luckily I've got obviously a good rig, and uh, I played it on all the full spec, and nothing seemed to be bad. I had a few issues with the sound. I don't know what was going on there, and maybe you'll say this is the way it is, but um, when people were talking... if. It was seemed very directional, and unless you were facing them, you couldn't hear them at all. Mm. Um, and so th- I was playing it in Russian with uh, subtitles, so 90% of the time I was relying on the subtitles coming through. I didn't know if that was a glitch or not, so that's the way I played it, but it seemed very directional. No, it's just uh, when I, I had, a, the, as I say, the briefest of, of reminders yesterday just to pick up the atmosphere of that first section stuff, unfortunately. I would have you know, loved to have played it through again, but I haven't had the time. Um, there's no V-Sync option in the graphics options on the PC version, so you have to go into your graphics card options, and apparently sometimes it's um, even that doesn't work, so it's it's quite prone to tearing. Yeah. It seems very strange and not to have a V-Sync option in the, in the options yeah, menu. Yeah, and certainly considering it's it's regarded as one of the most high-spec PC games you can play, even up to now. Um, yeah, it looks very good. It's got a high, just a raft of options on the PC, and they use a lot of stuff that was very advanced back in 2010, and only really just, once again, catching up to it now, and it's, it's quite an intensive PC game. So, mm. But uh, no, I didn't... I didn't. Normally, I do obviously suffer with V-Sync stuff, and you turn that straight on, but uh, mm. for whatever reason, it didn't seem to be on that one. Do but. you have a 120Hz monitor, Tony, do you know? Let's say yes, James. <laughs> because I wonder if that's the difference, because sometimes having a monitor with a slightly higher refresh rate can just help uh, with that, because I certainly did notice some of the V-Sync issues um, when when I popped it on my PC just to refresh myself um, mm. the last couple of days. Um, yeah, it seems to be a known issue. I did mm-hmm. some Googling. Yeah. I think my screens are, are 60 hertz, so yeah, yeah well, that may, that may The game is a little buggy itself as well. Some, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, as indeed its antecedents, um, yeah. Stalker, I gather, a great but buggy. Um, obviously, they share a lot of stuff. We'll talk about those in a second too. James, what's your history with Metro? Uh, it came out in this uh, sort of neat little... Before February, March, through to sort of... Well, I guess by that point, May was a rock star sort of staple. But that sort of March release date wasn't popular by any stretch of the imagination then, and, and it came out in that little niche, and I think a lot of people were interested in it for that. And I um, I didn't buy it, I rented it uh, on 360 uh, first time round, and I got it, it was on my um, rental list, um, and I got it in July, so a few months after it came out, but it was certainly one that was on my radar from before it came out, um, just as, as being this sort of... I think Stalker had a, a reputation as being uh, difficult and hard to get to grips with, um, and Metro Twenty Thirty Three had a lot of the same pedigree as you said. We'll mention, um, mm. but being a, a more linear, more accessible, I guess is the is the dirty word of the of the day. Um, a bit more accessible, a bit easier to get into, but with a lot of the same ideals and a lot of the same storytelling. Uh, yeah, I think it came, I'm pretty sure this came out the same day as God of War three, and about two months before Red Dead Redemption. That seems uh, Red Dead would have been me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Carl, did you buy this day one? Uh, I know you've. Uh, I think you've thousand gamer scored it on three sixty. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I got it the day it came out. It was, um, as you mentioned, it came out in March, and that was sort of a bit ideal because it came out two months after the likes of Bayonetta and uh, Darksiders. So it sort of ran out into the empty period. So I, I picked it up, and I'd been looking forward to it. It had been advertised quite heavily through the media um, prior to launch. There wasn't much of a run-up to it, was yeah. there? Because it seemed like they... they I remember the, the announcement and they took a load of um, the student, well, the students, took a load of the publishers down into a metro station in Russia itself um, and did a big fanfare there. And I was thinking, what? okay, <laughs> it's pretty strange. But Classic I think, PR. Yeah, but yeah. I think the run-up, it was only a couple of months between that and its, and its release and being here everywhere, so... I think it's one of those, you know, you can sort of you can sort of sell it through, you know, the environment you're in, being treated uh, to, you know, the the trips and, and and whatnot, and the authenticity of being down in the metro, which is obviously what the game was targeting, and it being heavily pushed as a game with atmosphere, a game, you know, it almost started off as a game that was going to be similar to Fallout Three, is how they were sort of advertising it, even though it was never even close, and obviously as it came closer and closer to the launch, it sort of lost that sort of relationship to to a game of that type and i still bought it with sort of the hope that there was going to be something in there and i was a fan of what stalker had tried and and obviously some of the team had left a year before the release of stalker to go and form the studio so i I went in and and picked it up on you know the day of release and i was really looking forward to playing it and it didn't quite click as i was hoping it would in in that way but it did offer some interesting things you know, aside from how it was directly marketed to you. Just in terms of the Fallout thing, I think um, part of it's obviously the, the post-apocalyptic setting and Fallout 3 has a large sewer system that's similar to the the, the Metro system in Metro 2033. But I think also because it came out six months before Fallout New Vegas and in sort of that six months after the last Fallout 3 DLC period, it actually... It, it, scratched that itch that I know some people felt like they didn't need scratching but uh, anyone who had played through all of the all of Fallout 3 in its DLC and was waiting for Fallout New Vegas it did hit at that right time and had some of the same atmosphere and uh, and you know it looked a bit similar in some ways so I think that's probably why it got the Fallout 3 comparisons I mean in terms in terms of PR THQ did a terrific job I mean they were clearly eyeing it up as a, a franchisable title and and somewhere yeah. to sort of pin the hopes of the company into the future, which, I mean, it's quite ironic looking back three years and where they are now, but in terms of what they did, they actually did a much better job releasing this than they did the likes of, well, Darksiders, which was, you know, two months earlier, which they decided to release the day of Bayonetta, which I'm not entirely sure that was overly smart, or the likes of Saints Row, which they went overly aggressive and under-delivered, you know, so this was quite quite well played on their, on their part. And and to me, it's, well, I'm sure we get into this, it's an odd title to put all your eggs in that, that basket. I mean, it's it's an off-kilter, it's not your your standard kind of first-person shooter title, thinking, yeah, this is entirely franchisable. It's- yeah, but you can, yeah, you can make out from screenshots and from videos of other people playing it that it you know it is this exciting um you know normal yeah. third person shooter i suppose it, it's it's always marketable in that sense yeah in the same way that bioshock can be marketed as a as a, a shooter first and everything else second which is just not the case and i don't think it is in metro 2033 either really yeah i think um for me i mean we'll, we'll probably talk more about this but 
it's obviously it's a much less uh, it's smaller it's it's much smaller less ambitious and more linear game than Fallout but mm, I think it it does a couple of things much better than than Fallout I think the actual atmosphere of being in an underground place is better and I think mm. the non-player characters are stronger um it's like the things that Bethesda do well are the big open world stuff but you know they notoriously fall short when it comes to characterization and things like that and obviously Metro had a kind of bunk up and we should talk about the book although I've not read it um, one of the reasons that THQ perhaps felt confident to get behind this was because the book had been you know sold a lot of copies over the world been translated into 20 languages and um, you know it had already been a, a big uh, sci-fi hit for five years before the game came out so there was you know a market of sci-fi fans you know there's obviously as a maybe gamers aren't always readers and readers aren't always gamers but there's a crossover because this is you know this is classic geek fiction isn't it yeah very much it it struck me as quite similar to what happened with uh, Nightwatch when it took off in Russia uh, and was then brought over here and obviously the first mm. film was brought over as this this massive sensation, you know, Russia's biggest film, and no one really knew what to make of it. Um, although I think it was it was great that they didn't just remake it with English language; they actually, you know, went with it as was. Um, and and same for this. It was here's you know this fantastically successful book in Russia um, that that we're turning into a game, and I think that was something that THQ really went for in terms of marketing and. I, I certainly knew it was it was a book that was being made uh, the first thing I knew about the game I think was probably that uh, that it came from a book uh, anyone here read it I, I read the front cover in the game <laughs> <laughs> no, no it, it's <laughs> something I'd, I'd seen it a lot of times in places like Forbidden Planet um, it sort of fell in like you mentioned into you know that sort of world where it, it does sort of link with gamers and, and sort of uh, science fiction fans and, and so forth but I it, it never intrigued me to the point of reading it, and then when I saw mm. the game was coming out and I liked the look of it, I thought, well, I don't want to read the book because a book is so focused on on story that the game is only going to fall short. And you know, without doing it, I, I can pretty much assume that will be the case because obviously that's well, what books yeah. are aimed at. And and I thought, well, I'll I'll just play the experience of the game, and then you know, I, I never actually went back to the book afterwards, which is a shame because. It's, you see it so often in the game as uh, it's not really even that much of an easter egg because it's so blatantly there with posters and so forth but I intended to and, and just sort of never did but by all accounts the book, the book is incredibly popular uh, with, with some people um, you just never really hear those people talking about the story of the game I, I hear it did get uh, the translation isn't that great some of the elements are there but obviously you know the, the the characters are given so much more time in the books to to establish themselves and development and your relationship with them that they they just apparently do not have in the game, which is understandable. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the ga- difficulty, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to say, the game is just, you know, Metro 2033 is a great example of a game that just has characters that are purely just names. You know, there's very few characters that you actually relate to or, or get to know. I mean, there is a handful of characters that you do know, but there's a lot of names mentioned that you are only aware of them by name. Um, you know, obviously you, you've got mm. the likes of Khan, which we'll talk about later on, who you, you see quite a lot, but it's there's not a whole lot of humanisation to these characters, which is a shame because of the environment they're in and the situation they're in. There really should have been. So Dmitry Glukovsky uh, apparently, you know, endorsed the game and collaborated to some degree on it. Um, so, it, you know, it's canon and all that, uh, even though I think it... 
plays around with certain aspects but obviously none of us can speak properly about the book um but i know some people really like it even if the translation isn't tip top um and fortunately some of our correspondents who we'll hear from later in the podcast have read it and have are able to compare also some of our correspondents are stalker players but are any of us or have that have we been stalker shadow over chernobyl players shadow of chernobyl i have attempted to be over the years um Mm. and normally only get about three hours in Um, right it's one of those games that's what I hear. It's it's glitchy and buggy and unfriendly and difficult and but if you if you get past all that, apparently it's it's a bit you know it's kind of like unlike anything else, including Metro. It's it's very different to Metro. Is is what I understand. it is in fact all those things and uh, yeah. I haven't yet got past <laughs> the point where like yeah. oh this has clicked because many times I've I've died and and glitched through the environment and done stuff like that. I've I've always. Thought well, maybe it would be a really interesting Kane and Rince game to do, um, mm. but it would take a, a lot of um, you know a passionate few members of the crew to, to actually get on with that. But like I say, it has the same kind of touchstones. Um, it is quite a dark environment where you're in, but it is with you know it's almost comparable to to Fallout in that regards because there's a lot more open terrain that you need to yeah. to go across. But uh, has the elements of you know people being you know traps going off and. and Beast seeing you from afar, and you know, all those parts are in there. So yeah, I can see how how this has spawned off into Metro, but in a more kind of linear esque environment. So there was uh, th- uh, two sequels that happened: Clear Sky and mm-hmm. Call of Pripyat, and then uh, Stalker Two, which was in and out of development and eventually got cancelled. Um, GSC Game World were the developer, um, and it was some of some of those and some other people that split off to create 4A Studios, I believe, mm-hmm. made Metro. Yeah. Uh, I must admit, you know, this is not an area that I'm, you know, fully up on. I think the thing to to highlight though is there there was a lot of kind of crowing about um, something when when Stalker was coming out. You know, a lot of people were talking about because it was, you know, a kind of very small developer from a, a different country, Eastern European, Eastern European, yeah. and that was a time when it seemed to be a number of Eastern European games were pushing their, their themselves across uh, into the Western market. Yeah, and they tended to be, uh, you know, and, and perhaps we shouldn't generalise as we shouldn't about people, but there was back in the nineties there was always a, the sort of and eighties actually there was always the joke about how mad French games were mm-hmm. before we were before we were used to the craziness of Japanese games, but uh, Eastern European games tended to be very ambitious, very demanding of uh, technical, you know, specs on your computer, uh, a bit buggy and a little bit oblique, <laughs> a bit under play tested, but really interesting. Uh, if that was, I the, mean, it, when you talk about Stalker being, you know, a little bit buggy has been incredibly generous <laughs> towards it. I mean, Stalker's quite interesting in that it's actually my longest ever pre-order for a title. I actually had that game pre-ordered for four years before it released due to all the delays, <laughs> and I'm, right. I'm quite bitter about it because it is one of, if not the buggiest game I've ever played on PC to the point that no matter how many restarts, no matter how many patches or custom patches or uh, any file tweaks, etc., that it could run, there was it always mm. found a way to crash me out with that game to a point that <laughs> it could not continue. That you know, there was the first bit with the first shop you would reach where um, notoriously you could go in, talk to him, but you couldn't go back out because the door wouldn't open. Um, <laughs> and it, it was like it it was like scratch your head, like how how has this ever made it out? And you realise that after all these delays, it was just a, 
massively over overly ambitious project. Ambitious but it was, for a small team. It was yeah. it was for the longest time billed as the quintessential PC game, the one you need to get to test your rig. Which I guess, in some regard, was it taken over by like the likes of Crisis. Um, Came out the same year as Crisis. Yeah, and uh, I think Crisis sort of picked up all the hype maybe. 12 to 18 months before it came out and people sort of stock fell by the wayside and it became more of um, a cult game compared to Crisis which was more of the, the spectacular blockbuster and yeah it was ambitious but it, it had some brilliant ideas Anyway, this is not the Stalker podcast. Uh, that may happen one day. We just don't know. Uh, Rebel FM Game Club did a series on the original Stalker back in 2009, I think. Like four podcasts, maybe, uh, with a whole bunch of them trying to play through it in stages. Um, they encountered a lot of problems. So if that's, I'm sure that's available out there somewhere still if you want to seek it out with... Um, Arthur Geese and Anthony Gallegos and people like that. It always um, always struck me as very similar to uh, the way people talk about Far Cry 2 and the way people talk about uh, DayZ as well. In that yeah, it, yeah. It takes a lot of getting into, there's a lot you've got to kind of get over and especially with Far Cry 2 a lot of uh, bugs and quirks to the way systems work that aren't necessarily friendly. Um, mm. But but if you can get over that hump and get, get sort of into it and um, and find what it is so, that it can do for you. So I guess what we're saying is that Metro 2033 has the same flavour as those games, but in fact is a little bit more accessible, but not as accessible as modern, well, say... Some of it's contemporaries, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk first about the, as it's one of the first things you do, um, the difficulty and how that's handled, because I, I know um, th- there were a couple of things about this I wasn't that aware of. Um... But it's it's different to other games, isn't it? Yeah, I was just going to say the um, the the first thing that uh, wasn't in the game when I played it, I don't think, but is now is ranger mode. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, was they added two it. ranger modes, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, um, easy and harder ranger modes. Yeah, unless I'm mistaken, certainly on the PC version, it doesn't actually explain what ranger mode is on the difficulty select screen. No, you have to go off and, and search for it on the <laughs> internet, which I did. Yeah. It does it if you select hard ranger mode, it gives you a breakdown of everything that you're going to have to deal with because yeah. it's been taken away. I think if you select easy ranger mode, it doesn't, it doesn't really. No. Yeah. No. Which is the difficulty I ended up playing the game on. Okay, uh, easy ranger. For um, better or worse, I, I'm not sure. So, so what does ranger mode mean? Well, yeah. how is it different? Well, the, how it, how it uh, Metro 23 runs its difficulty is, is strange to me because I just, I was hit with a screen with what, six different choices I think well mm. I don't you know, I, I don't really fancy going straight into hardcore but you know may, do I play easy but what the hell is ranger mode So, mm. but the way it handles it is that in easy um, the the enemies are basically become bullet sponges so you, you pump mm. a lot of bullets into them and, but you don't take much damage but they take long to kill because obviously you know if they're bullet sponges you're going to have maybe two or three seconds to, to take them down where as you go further up the difficulty, obviously you're, you become easier to kill and they become easier to kill. Now, what ranger mode does is it's more of a, they might as well call it realistic difficulty. So there is less an- ammo available in the environment, in an environment that already has scarce an- ammo. Um, but it's more of a one shot, one kill for the, well, and certainly in ranger easy, it's one shot, one kill pretty much for most beasts. Um, but you can take very minimal damage yourself. Now, Ranger Hardcore mode is exactly that. It's one shot, one kill. 
for both parties and all the heads up display is taken away from the player as well so you don't see anything on the screen other than just you know, you, yeah yeah so weapon. if you want to bring up a map you have to which is actually true anyway in mm -hmm. the other modes but you have to look down at your map as your character taking away you know crucial peripheral vision from you know of what's around you yeah, yeah. much the same as zombie U implied uh, you, you, yes yeah. Whichever but, um, mode of the game you're playing, you have to pull up a clipboard. And a, to, uh, so my my thought was when I learned this that I almost certainly, although it meant that I got through it and I finished it in you know a relatively short time and I got to see the whole game, was that I probably missed out massively on the experience by playing it on easy because yes, the enemies are bullet spongy and it's and it feels kind of it's kind of although it's you know you feel safe, you feel too safe and and the combat is turned into this rather non-dynamic flaccid thing um, so is it a game is it one of those games that is better played on a harder difficulty well I assume Carl's been through all the difficulties certainly the original difficulties for all the achievements yeah I went through the original difficulties I've um, only sort of dabbled with the ranger mode um, the, they didn't the, add achievements for ranger mode um, they did, did they? I believe they did, the the PC. PC. did. Yeah. yeah they did um, but, but you need just, to get back in there and do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure at one point I will. Um, you know, I, I tested the water to see what it was like, but it, it was quite interesting. I, I went in on hard. I liked the idea of trying to survive in the environment. The addition mm. of uh, stealth or the option to stealth where ammo um, is maybe scarce, and it, it felt great. I think my, my problems didn't necessarily stem from that I think the enemies were still uh, sort of sponging but obviously it was down to the, the the feature of dead ammo which you know is sort of brought upon you early in the game okay. and can cause so many issues for players playing the game who maybe don't understand it or um, it, maybe it's not clear that a round was dead and it becomes frustrating so that that side of it was the it's most not frustrating. that clear and, and the developers 4A have said this repeatedly about last light over the last three years that they they understand that they failed to communicate well enough the differences between the two ammo types and whether the ammo was hitting and you know damaging <laughs> or deflecting off yeah. enemies armor but apparently in last light that's all you know they've focused on that that's going to be cured you're going to get different bullet noises depending on the kind of ammo you're using and what it's hitting and whether it's doing any bloody good or not. So so my experience then will vary probably greatly from yours because I, I didn't have that. Because I was playing on Ranger Easy, um, it was only really two or three shots and most things went down, even on mm. the, the the dirtier ammo. See, that sounds better to me than what I... Yeah, I but then, uh, I, mean, then I, I read all the correspondence about the the fact that, you know, the you say ammo deflecting and all that most of that experience was taken away from me but i can only imagine i mean it, we'll talk about some of the difficulties there's some difficult sections and i think you know i probably fell foul to those harder than than some of you guys did by playing yeah. on ranger easy um so it's you know it's a take and uh and you know give and take mm. but um what what they do do on between the different difficulties is ammo is scarce in this game um 
in fact you, you try to get the good ammo to buy more ammo um, which we'll obviously have a proper discussion about uh, but if you play on easy there's a lot of ammo around all over the place but as you go up the difficulties it becomes less and less and I, I think so most clips if I've, which I found there was maybe 4 to 5 bullets in and I think uh, even on the Ranger Hardcore it becomes less than that I think there's like 4 or 5 bullets in so you really have to be very uh, careful with what you're doing so a couple of times I just wanted to spray and pray um, and that, that really wasn't an option but I can't. I can't even imagine some of those later stages with you being hit once and and dying because there's some there's some hard sections through there. So yeah, I think most mm. of my frustration, like like I say, aside from the dead amyloids, I never really felt the um, you know I might not have been on one hit kill, but certainly on the hardest difficulty, it, it was maybe at times one, other times two hits. But because I approached the game from like maybe the stealth aspect, um, I was seldom in that much trouble i was taking the enemies out one at a time so that is why my frustration was the ammo more than the actual contact from the enemies but as you as you say there are a couple of sections where you're sort of forced into a situation with lots of shooting and it yeah they're, they're a whole other thing aside from difficulty a whole perhaps other issue that i struggled with that i didn't enjoy in this game for certain reasons so one of the big deals about Metro is the the whole bullets for cash thing. So you've got two types of ammo. There's crappy old repurposed bullets that have already been fired <laughs> once. Well, I think they've, they've been made and in the Metro it's into in itself. Um, and then you've got the actual, uh, you know, military grade yeah, stuff that was made uh, before the disaster, basically. Yes, which is uh, rare and expensive, and uh, you know, it's ever so slightly shinier. <laughs> Um, gold versus grey yeah yeah sort of um well it was never that obvious when i played it on 360 i have to say but um and then so then you've got the whole thing you can fire the metal bullet uh, you know the good bullets the proper ones and they will kill things um but then you'll have very few of them <laughs> this is your constant <laughs> balancing act throughout the game uh, and you also need uh, money for other things such as filters for your gas mask well, let let me ask you guys, was it really a balancing act? Because from what I've read and from my own experience, whenever I picked up gold ammo, I saw it as I was picking up a, a, a coin. Like, that wasn't a a piece of animation to be used because, you know, the scarcity of it, and I needed it for all these other items. So it wasn't even a case of, oh, well, I'll flick to that so I can actually kill this thing in one hit, although I was getting things easier anyway but it was a case of well that's off limits and I don't want to shoot that because I'm, yeah. I, I need this for all this other stuff I need weapon upgrades I need all this stuff mm. and that essentially is a coin so did anyone actually go yeah I'm going to fire these things so I can take these down you know bigger beasts down faster at the start of the game um, yes mm. I, I was freely using it you, you're sort of feeling <laughs> your way in and you're not sure and then you know, you you get the pneumatic rifle and the ball bearing ammo, and you realise that if you sort of, because obviously you've got to pump up the pneumatic rifle, which is a cool feature of the game, much like you you know you generate your torch or mm -hmm. charge your charge, battery. Yeah, yeah, great great elements to it, and you realise that firing a fully charged ball bearing is actually more powerful than firing a gold round worth money anyway. So the bullets sort of became off limits because I wanted ball bearing ammo. It stuck into my, in my head that you said that, Carl, ages ago. It was after I'd played the game, unfortunately. So, um, and I thought, well, that you know, that's great. That's all well and good. 
assume it was deliberate on the part of the developers um but how many people actually twig to that fact um i suppose it would have only taken minimal experimentation but then um i guess a lot of people would have just dismissed a ball bearing gun out of hand <laughs> yeah, wouldn't they exactly. just gone I, I well that's just that's as, exactly yeah. it i think it came from me as i just happened to have that gun on me i was low on ammo and mm. i fired around which was a silent round as well because it's a stealth weapon uh, yeah. into the back of a guy and he, air, and he just it? sort of flew into the distance with an instant death and I was like <laughs> okay that's pretty powerful <laughs> and I tried it and right. it, you know it maintained that consistency and that's the best thing is obviously there's no dead ball bearings metal's metal so it was and that level of consistency as long as you constant playing it stealth you always had the chance to you know charge up the air in it for the pressure it's a real game changer is that like do you think that's why you like the game enough to play it through multiple times get the good the good ending and all that simply because you happen to work that super out super weapon oh absolutely <laughs> yeah. you know my, i had a huge level of frustration with dirty ammo and once that was gone, I was able to sort of explore the game. I was able to sort of wander around and see it, and I wouldn't wander into fights, you know, worrying or getting frustrated at the combat. And I think, I think that sort of, sort of elevated the game that I didn't mind these extra playthroughs. Because I'm willing to bet we've got a whole host of people listening to this podcast who started the game, got pissed off with it, but still have it on their shelves, or they've picked it up cheap in a Steam sale or, or for a fight. Well, I think this is probably why, whatever. as Tony mentioned, you see so many copies secondhand in shops. Yeah. Would you say, you know, go back to it and try again, but use the super gun, the compressed air ball bearing gun, and give it another go? Absolutely. I mean, it is. A, it's a massive game changer. It's it, fe- yeah. it almost feels so out of place that it's just so much better than an actual. But then, what concerns me a little bit there is was the whole ammo thing, ammo thing, a complete failure then? Because ultimately, I wasn't using it in the way that they hoped. Because uh, I was just seeing it as coins. I think James was much the same in in that regards. Yeah. yeah um, and you had a lot of uh, automatic weapons which you were afraid to use because you would just burn through ammo anyway. Mm. So I was sticking water pistols or the ball bearing guns uh, and tend to be a bit more silent as well. And so you know, it seems a lot of people just would have been a lot happier without that feature even existing in the game in the first place. Yet it sounds brilliant. I think that can go for a, a lot more than just the ammo system in the game. Uh, what well, sounds good, but the, in reality, the, yeah, there's a in concept. There's a lot of things that were very interesting that were attempted in this game, and some worked, some didn't. And I think the ammo system probably falls foul to that more than anything else. And you know, as Leon said, and I've noticed it myself, every sort of documentary thing that came out about Metro Last Light to begin with always focused on this ammo. And and the frust- that was obviously their number one complaint that came through in development, and understandably so. Uh, was it a failure? Yes, I guess it probably actually was. I know it's a strange thing because they talked a lot about it in the build up to the game. So I went into this knowing fine well that there were these two separate uh, types of ammunition, and like you, Tony. Once I knew that those gold bullets, yes, they may be more effective, but they were my currency. They weren't bullets to me no. at all. I never shot one, don't think. Um, and uh, so, so from that point of view, it seems like the people who who did have the dilemma hated it because they ended up shooting gold bullets and feeling awful for it. And the people who who avoided the dilemma by just writing off those uh, those military grade rounds. Um, 
didn't experience the 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 tension uh, in in inventory management that the developers had hoped for. I still think it's a good idea. I just th- I don't know how, but it needs to be it needs to be tweaked slightly. Maybe taking out the um, the pneumatic weapons would have actually meant that myself and Tony and Carl on his repeated playthroughs would have felt more of a pull to use those. Um, those military grade rounds in in sequences that were particularly tough, but um, certainly I found uh, pneumatic weapons, and I think it's the Tihar um, pneumatic sniper rifle. Um, I picked that up as soon as I could, and then in fights where I didn't want to be pumping up uh, those weapons because there were too many enemies around me, I just switched out to one of my other guns. But I had plenty of dirty ammo on hand to use if I needed to. I also found um, the shotgun, yeah, you know, dirty ammo yeah, or shotgun. not. <laughs> shotgun yeah. to the face is a that was absolutely the combination to run with pneumatic yeah. rifle and shotgun. Uh, it's worth saying for anyone who's who's um, who has struggled, uh, you can find a pneumatic weapon very early on. So you go through the prologue, uh, come out of exhibition into uh, the Bourbon section of the game, uh, and it's in Lost Levels. The first time you can deviate off the um, the tunnel path, um, there's a couple of lurkers and uh, a body down there that has a pneumatic weapon on it. Um, and you can get a feel for that pretty early in the game and see if it's going to make a difference to you. And of course the lost levels are exactly like all the other levels but five times as hard. <laughs> That's a Mario joke. <laughs> uh, so, and another um, economy of the game is, or, or resource, uh, are the filters. Um, certain sections you have to go above the uh, post-nuclear war Russian surface, for that is where we are, in case you haven't picked that up by now. Uh, during which time you have to wear a gas mask um, and to keep yourself from asphyxiating you need uh, filters Um, on the level I played ended up playing the game through on these are fairly abundant Um, but I think those are some of the most memorable sections Um, the tension that the breathing causes the condensation on the mask and the thought that um, you might run out um, really adds a uh, shit your pants sense of urgency to proceedings at that stage everyone else a fan or was it too hard on on the level you played it on Uh, I wouldn't say there were abundance that's for sure Um, a lot of my my spare cash went towards gas the bigger the bigger thing for me wasn't whether I had a filter is whether I, if I took one or two hits my gas mask would break in a certain area which does, then yeah. would burn through filters well actually if I think you were a, a 68 anyway even without the filter I think you get like one filter and then you're pretty much doomed uh, that was my bigger problem because if you broke your gas mask then you, it, you your character would end up taking it off you'll be walking around you've got about 20 seconds to find a new <laughs> gas mask and yeah they're they're not littered around on the ground everywhere. I believe you can carry an extra one with you, but that was my bigger problem. And in fact, I ran into a huge issue on the I think it was the final level, chapter seven, where um you're climbing the tower, and um I mm. did the entirety of that level without a gas mask, <laughs> and Whoa. luckily, due to the way that it it has cutscenes that that break in every now and again, um I would go from one cutscene to the other, pelting it breathing like my last <laughs> breath with my last breath here hit a cutscene and then it would just take over and, and move nice. on but it was terrifying um if, if that's what mm. a ranger has to do yeah right um but i, I <laughs> love, once again i love the idea of it it, it sounds yep. 
fantastic in practice or in, in theory it sounds uh, fantastic in practice it's a little fiddly but of, you know if you're going out into the post-apocalyptic world and there's a, a lot of chemicals and dust and all the rubbish that we now associate with these kind of worlds then it makes complete sense and mm. a bit like we're talking about on the bioship 2 show um the sense of being in a suit of something this be a gas mask um, and you have the effects that come around that. So in, there's a couple of areas, like in the library, where it, you, it's freezing in there from being up in the top, and you have all the ice and condensation fitting around the mask, and it, it looks beautiful. And the sense of claustrophobic and panic that you get from you know running around or just in a firefight, and you start breathing heavily, and as your your tip, your, your timer is running out, and you know you you need to change a filter. It, I mean, that's one of the best aspects of the game I found. Yeah. As a mechanic, it's funnily enough, it's not a million miles away from what we were, well, what you were talking about. The, the show I didn't make it onto, the being below the mm, dust line yeah. in I Am Alive, and the the sense of urgency of having to get above. Now, I, you know, for me that failed because it didn't give you enough time, uh, opportunity to you know to sort yourself out or or enough warning or whatever. But um, and maybe I'd have felt the same about Metro on the higher difficulties. I'm not sure if I'd ended up in that situation that you did, Tony. It may have been the death of my game. Um, you're a more patient gamer than I, I think. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, but the checkpointing in the game can be a, a, a real uh, fiddly, fickle beast. and Inconsistent, yes, shall we say. Um, yeah. I'd had to, mm. to roll back past earlier checkpoints and restart levels because I, I got to a situation where I had no... Um, filters for my gas mask and I, I thought well if I restart and, and go find some or go buy some and I'll, I'll make it through this game a lot easier so like I say swings and roundabouts of the difficulty I was playing on what's the is that the only saving system I can't remember does the PC version no, I think it's have... just checkpoints is it just me or the the mutated creatures of above ground a bit rubbish <laughs> yeah the, what, the, the, the Nasiluses yeah. I think they're called are yeah they are pretty atrocious the design of them is uh, it's hard to say unauthentic because nobody knows what they would be but I would I find it hard to believe that they would look like giant rats with like elephant trunks and uh, it's it's kind of I think it, the question is what what are they supposed to be because obviously uh, you've got We'll come on to dark ones later. Dark ones are supposed to be, in theory, some people reckon they are the next step of evolution for mankind after you know people were exposed to um, exposed to the radiation. Presumably, all the other creatures we see are are animals yeah. that were exposed to radiation, which should mean that in some way they should resemble mm. some. But they're part dog, but they're human humanoid. They've got very strange. Uh, facial features, yeah, they're very, just very. I the, think they're the just, awkward they, in design. It's, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be creepy and disturbing, mm. and I think they get that much right, I suppose. Do you? I they, see. That's that was one of the bigger problems for me. Like they, they, they were enough to make me, you know, worry about them because you know, especially when my first attempt playing on the regular difficulty, because you know, you know, you can get surrounded and they can take you out, but. Yeah. They mostly looked a bit comical. Now, the the, the 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 mutated wastelands of Fallout had some sort of fairly comical enemies mm. in, but then that game always had a little, a yeah. slightly kind of fifties um, sort of yeah. This that's sort one of thing that Metro sci -fi thing does on. not have. No, point no. From beginning to end, is there any let up in the sort of bleak atmosphere and, and grim world? It's fairly mirthless, which yeah. I which I like. You know, yeah, it's yeah. the one the reason I wanted to like I Am Alive because I I really enjoy 
gritty, dark the tension things. of it is, is never broken. It's important. Yeah. But but the, the, the I remember the there's some metro. There's some kind of mole rat type enemies underground. Mm. But they're just they're just really ill defined and just mm. kind of comical yeah. and. It undermines the the horror. When you know so much time and effort has been made to recreating the metro system, and and when you go up above the surface, even on the console uh, on the 360, it, some areas look absolutely stunning, and there's a real sense of authenticity that that they've really crafted this almost believable sort of nuclear world that you're in, suffering from a nuclear winter, and you go under and all the lighting's there and it's it's fantastic mm-hmm. to sort of experience something mm-hmm. like that and then the fillet of these enemies that you're like even you know you're not there and it is sci-fi but they just don't ever feel like they belong in that world they don't even feel like they belong in that game it's the it feels mm. like they were really hastily put together i didn't like them at all and the the strange thing is i've i've spoken about this with several people in the past and I've never known anyone actually say they like any of the enemies in that game in particular. Mm. It just felt like there was no real soul to the enemies, no real intent or direction where they were going. It was, It's almost like they built temporary enemies to sort of plan yeah, the exactly. game out and they've just sort of stuck with them, yeah. They don't even have, other than, you know, some of them can fly, fly yeah. and some of them whatever, they don't even have their own sort of obvious behaviours. Most of them just barrel towards you don't they um some of the some of the small lurkers will run away from you but eventually they will turn around and come at you but yeah yeah they all, they all seem like yeah. variations on a theme but it was just a, a fairly poor theme i think um especially the mm. is it the librarians that are the gorilla types yeah and, and yeah, that just yeah is yeah. completely ill-fitting i mean okay if you're if you were in an environment where there were gorilla type animals that had you know, there could There's be something. No there, gorillas in Russia. No, exactly. There are apes, yeah, but, but they, they just seem very. That's radiation for you. It's though. a prime <laughs> example of a game and a game design team thinking we need a brute. We need a brute type enemy. Oh yeah. Let, yeah uh, stick something in there. And the, the problem I mm. have is that I didn't like the enemies up 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 top onto the wastelands, but I mm. also didn't enjoy fighting the humans down below. That was my um, next question. And, it, and for for a couple of reasons. One, I always find it weird in, in a post-apocalyptic environment where humans need to fight humans. That clearly everybody's having trouble surviving, and obviously there's. What do you mean, like the Earth today? Oh, Tony? Well, yeah, maybe, but yeah, now now times are hard, <laughs> and you know the metro system isn't that big. But why can't anybody just get along? But it seems it wouldn't be... happen. It, it, people would fight. People would uh, want those extra bullets. I, I, and I get that, but I I, I just didn't enjoy fight and maybe it's because they they were that much harder to to get See, through a couple of those sections and it the problem for me isn't because you know in in i am alive again not played it but listen to the podcast so in i am alive obviously you've got factions of humans who are out for themselves and mm-hmm. in a post-apocalyptic environment resources are scarce people will fight over resources the thing that bothers me in this game is you've got the reds whatever that means Communists. the nazis because we know <laughs> they're bad and then just these other groups of humans and you you stumble upon them and immediately i think the the first group of enemies you're you're told they are vagrants of some kind and they turn on you there's no dialogue there there's no we will defend ourselves you know there's no factions defending themselves if they have to but wanting to get along aside from your faction, which means that everyone else in the world is just but the, this is what i'm getting at at yeah. the start of the game you you're, you're introduced to this 
fairly large town area and there's lots mm. of merchant you know merchants there and you can buy different ammo you realize you you don't have any money at this point to buy this stuff so you kind of just move on but it seems to be a, a community has formed around this place and there was no hostility towards me it was just yep. well here's a town and i was expecting to at least come across two or three more of those in the game but actually most well actually all the other sections you come to are places of hostility and there's very little bargaining to be had. In, in fact, it's really only the group of people that you take with you at, at specific points throughout the game that you you know either become your merchants um, and sell you stuff. And there's never really another town just to find. Yet the town that you're in is is by all accounts treated as this because um, you go all the way to the, the one other major city where uh, you're looking for help for that place, isn't it? And they turn you down saying, oh, well, it's just this place at the end of the tunnel that nobody cares about. Yet it seems to be the biggest and most interesting thriving community in the entirety of the Metro District because everyone else seems to be utterly batshit insane. <laughs> I think this falls into what I was saying in the terms of how you humanise the area, uh, the people, whether the, the human enemies, the, the communist enemies, the Nazi enemies, or the, the people in the Metro District that are there to help you, is that with the book, all this can have real histories and, and be described to you and be rich in this world, but in, in the game, they're no more than sort of sort of placeholders uh, or an obstacle for you to sort of pass in, and mm. that, that that is an area that really sort of fell short of any form of storytelling, um, which, you know, coming from a book, when a, when a game struggles to tell you a story and it's already got the basis to build on you, you, that is a real opportunity missed. And I couldn't care less who they were. You know, there was no real distinction to be made other than they are Nazis mm. and they are Reds. They were the same, mm. es- essentially. You know, they they wanted to kill yeah. you. I don't know why they were Reds or why they were Nazis, what their purpose was. They may was. have wanted to kill one another, but yeah, there's there's aside from they are enemies, there's no exploration of, of what their motives are, what their intentions are, etc. I assume the Reds were traditional Soviet, you know, yeah. people yeah. who favoured a return to you yeah. know, traditional and Soviet. All you, uh, all you want to do is get one from one side of their tunnel to the other. You don't want any trouble yeah, and you have yeah, to in- yeah. obliterate every single human left in these areas so you can... You know, like there hasn't them. already been a catastrophic event. You have yeah, to be a one-man genocide and wipe out what's left. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a topic that's coming up again and again as regards to video games in general, isn't it? It's it's interesting. We've hit that point now in, in discussion of the medium that, you know, should every game involve just blasting the shit out of everything in, in sight. I, I think this is a point I've made and it's it's something that I've stuck up for for something like Dishonored in recent times where, you know, it, the game actively offered you the option to go through without killing anyone and you think, we've come back and we've had a couple of extra games since and you look back and you think, that really was quite unusual. And then in something like uh, Metro 2033, which, to be honest, that is a more ideal Fitting that I should have been able to go through Metro 2033 without killing anyone would have been. Yeah, can you? Is that, is you I... can. You can stealth. They say that you can stealth all the areas, but at times I find it very hard I, to believe. Yeah. One thing I will say about the bad guys is, and and the combat in general is that the 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 use of lighting in in the firefights is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like the. The fact that bullet flashes and stuff light up areas, the fact that people have, you know, headlamps on stuff, you can see them coming towards you and the, the lights that you can put out. And actually, in in, I still find that virtually every shooter 
third or first person, the AI of enemies is completely predictable and often stupid. I have to say that the enemies in Metro did actually were able to occasionally surprise me with their behaviour. I'm not sure I, what. I'm not sure that was by design because I, I remember seeing some <laughs> characters. They were running clearly repetitive paths all the way from the back of an area to within shooting range of you, turning around and running all the way back again. I don't <laughs> yeah. think that was intentional. Yeah, there's some real quirks. Really well, it worked. <laughs> got close enough to shoot you and then got cold feet and ran away again. I can't really think. Um, as, as far as um, it being an adaptation of a book, I think there's there's obviously a couple of problems that they would have run into. The first is um, your character is silent. You get monologues. Artyom is, is also, yeah, we should say Artyom is also the main character in the book, yeah. isn't he? It, so, it's, it's so obviously straight, in, but, in, yeah. in any book when the main character, uh, the main character, you get a lot of their uh, thoughts put into the book because you can you can write down what the thought is. You can literally have an inner monologue going. That's difficult to do in a game and they do put it in the loading screens, mm-hmm. um, that inner monologue's there. But Artyom being silent in the game, and this will come to my second uh, point which is a, a, either a decision or a limitation they ran into if he's silent in the game it doesn't give him the opportunity to interact with people and whether mm. by design or, or limitation they chose not to have any form of conversation tree which means that it becomes very very difficult to engage with those interesting characters and, and some of the, the characters you come across um, you know, Hunter, you get a feel for who that man is by what other people are saying about him, by the way he acts and by the way he talks to you. But it's difficult to explore that without having you able to interact with him in some way and the usual way that's done is a conversation. And the irony is yeah. that the whole game is essentially his monologue because the game takes place as he's mm-hmm. writing it, a timewriter, write, write, uh, typewriter, writing his story, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. after the events. So for, for him to sort of, yeah, for him to not be... You know, he doesn't describe himself. You don't get any feeling for the character of Artyom at all, and he's the one writing the story. That felt sort of incredibly hollow. That, that, that part I still found him... You see, we know it can be done. I know people have very strong and very different feelings about silent protagonists, um, but we know from games like Half-Life 2 that it can be done where the uh, the other characters are still absolutely brilliant. Um, without having a, a, a speaking protagonist, but I have to say that although Artyom, yeah, isn't fully fleshed out and, and whatever, I still found him infinitely more interesting and likable than any number of completely yeah. speaking characters from any number of other games, yeah. because he didn't seem like an, a fucking idiot. You know, he's, he's clearly, you know, he's even just from those little snippets you get, um, and from the way you can other tell characters that he's act a, towards him, yeah, yeah, and you, find you out can that tell he's, that he's thoughtful and, and intelligent. He's, he's just in a bad like situation that, that he, yeah, you know. yeah. You, you find out he's twenty years old. He's living with his stepfather in exhibition, um, and he's just got to that age where he feels he needs to make a difference in the in the world and in the situation he's in. Um, you know, he's gone into adulthood and he now needs to strike out and and make his own way. Um, much the same as your character in Fallout, although um, it, it feels like it's more um, Artyom's choice rather than he, uh, the situation forcing him. Um, I, I did quite like 
well not like but often in first person games you can look down at your feet and see that there's nothing there but the camera actually goes a lot further back than it does in in other first person games so for instance when you're sat on the um little cart at the very beginning yes, leaving. Yeah, yeah, if you look yeah. down at the seat you can look at the seat that you're supposedly sitting on and it's just empty <laughs> yeah. so you, you're a head that optionally has a pair of arms sticking up in front of it uh, just floating I know some air. people have a real problem like a total uh, you know um what's the word you know it, where, where they're completely yeah, brought out yeah yeah absolutely yeah but you know as as a general uh feeling i was left um like i i can absolutely recall the atmosphere of the game um uh, you know really evocative as i say for me much more so than fallout 3 in terms of feeling like i was in a post apocalyptic place now i know I, I think i think it was uh, david turner on joypod at the time possibly um kind of he said that his immersion was slightly shattered by when he realized that the kind of the populated areas were pretty much like a um, and a lot of games are actually like this. It's kind of like a theme park where you know you you stand by something. There's there's a scene happening, and if you walk through it at the pace that the ga- the designers think you're going to, it's convincing. However, if you stand there or you go backwards or or do something that the ride doesn't want you to do, then it's you start to realise that it's just a set of um, mechanical displays on a you know on a loop sort of thing yeah. like Disney World or something um for me it's not a huge problem because we know it's all you know I know video games are all smoke and mirrors I, I've been playing them long enough um I understand that if if the best way to enjoy the game is to is to barrel through those bits and not kind of try to to break it to try and see the cracks then I'm I'm happy enough with that but again that's something that perhaps people could I have to say, if there was repeated dialogue, I wouldn't know because playing it in Russian, which was a fantastic experience yeah. and and very much true yeah. to the source material. Um, yeah, I recommended that to you based on somebody recommending yeah, it to me back it, in in two thousand and ten. So they, they they subtitled yeah. all the main conversations that you, you know, you're required to hear, so you know, shop tenders, vendors, and, and bits like that, or any main big conversations that have any story points. But any, yeah, any, any story or mechanically yeah, significant background chatter is yeah. just Russian, and there is no subtitles for it, and it's just brilliant because you have no idea what's going on well, other than I, looking at now. Their faces. I would I know that there are some people that would argue that that's that a was, problem because your character's Russian, uh, you should be able to understand it. Yeah, whereas for me, it just massively added yeah. to the atmosphere. Mm. Like, and actually. The, the English language voice acting yeah, is good, really the, good and the Russian play. accents seem to be Russian, authentic <laughs> and convincing um, but there's some for me it's weirder to have people talking in English with Russian accents yeah. than it is to have them talking Russian and me not understanding what's going on but again it's, all, it's almost a kind of thing like the silent protagonist that different people will have different yeah, preferences but I would recommend it, I recommended it to Tony and I think I think you I dug did. it so. yeah, very much. So. I mean, I, I play um, all games with subtitles on. Um, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's something I just do. I, I I'd watch films and TV that way if I could. I just I'm able to take in what's being said much better for some reason. My girlfriend watches The Wire with sub with subtitles on so that she understands the all the you know the, the Baltimore yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's disappointing for me that that background dialogue wasn't um, subtitled because that would be the icing on the cake to make this the example to me that the same as I think you know uh, certainly live action films you should watch in their original language 
uh, with subtitles. That's the way I would always choose to. Um, and in this case, I think if they had subtitled the background language, that would be... I but isn't taken background language background language? So if they did that for, you know, even in an English-speaking film, you would have the main subtitles and there would be lots of little mini popping boxes of subtitles going all over the place. It's just, it's background Film. chatter. If you hear in English, fair enough, you can understand. Yeah. But if you're, yeah, if we were Russian, you can understand Russian, all that stuff yeah, would yeah. amalgamate into one. But to do it, to do it subtitled, it but would be all over there the are, place. There are several characters who, because you can hear them say your name, are addressing you directly. And especially if you're going for the good ending or trying to collect all the gold bullets, the MGR uh, bullets, you need to explore and you need to knock on some doors. You need to try and interact with people as and where you can. The problem is that for me, this, I am a Russian character, therefore I should be able to understand what's being said and I can't. It does a heck of a lot better than Assassin's Creed does, incidentally. A lot of people champion that game for being able to listen to it in uh, its local language. Well, basically since Assassin's Creed 2, you've been able to listen to it in in Italian. The problem for me is that when you then come out of the game into the Desmond sections, it's still in Italian. No, there should be an option to have a localised language so that, and especially when you get to Brotherhood and Revelations, wherever the characters are from, whichever country you're in, that's the language they should be speaking to me. Even even the current Street Fighter games do that now. Yeah. I mean, that's how obvious an option is. Yeah. The characters, you know, they don't have every language in there, but they there's an option to set Regional. them to the most appropriate yeah. language which is yeah every game should have it yeah. <laughs> and it just seems like a, a big misstep to me because I, I don't want to to hear desmond speaking italian why would he speak italian he's from new yeah. york or wherever he is from you know it's it's ridiculous and in this game they nearly got it so close but i did want to hear that background dialogue because some of it is directed at you as a character and even if it's just a character from your hometown saying oh good luck on your trip or whatever that's important dialogue it's something that adds to the atmosphere i think amazingly we're already heading to the gone past the hour mark but are there any um particular sequences or story moments or uh levels sequences that people wanted to recall or talk about i don't personally have anything well to talk about my how much i didn't enjoy fighting against the humans so a couple of sequences really nailed the coffin in it for me which is there's a, a literally an on-rails sequence where you're going down and um you're in the metro tunnel and they they start chasing after you even in a panzer tank because that's a wise thing to do inside a tunnel shoot at you with a panzer <laughs> tank a couple of sections like that kind of frustrated me because it was like this is just absurd you know it broke me out of the setting um, but I have to say it's a game of all atmosphere outside of those one or two annoyances for me um, just how the metro it, itself you know it, it, it made sense the fact that people have gone down to the place below the surface when you go up to the mm. surface and realise quite how hostile it is it's not just oh there's a bit of dust up there it's black and mm. cloudy and lightning storms and windy the whole, and the whole place is ash yeah, covered isn't it absolutely yes. horrendous and it's a place that clearly you don't want to spend any any amount of time only to traverse it from one sec section of the city to the other um, and I think they nailed that absolutely on the head um, and I have to say I always enjoyed being above ground than below ground because it was that much more fascinating you just seen how yeah. their vision of what a destroyed world would be um, and I think it's you know geologically quite correct of where they were actually um, basing it from um, but 
and uh, but the, at the same time the tunnel stuff was very claustrophobic story wise mm. I I don't think I entirely glued on for, for it to come from a book um, there seems to be a lot that was missing for me um, and you know whether you get the good ending and the bad ending I think actually then goes to explain a lot more what the story eventually turns out to be but I was never convinced by really anybody that I was travelling with uh, there's a there's a one or two well there's a, a supernatural element down in the tunnels which is really spooky but maybe felt mm. to me a little misplaced in the game and the whole dark ones I didn't entirely buy into that side of the story as well but I'll let James and, and Cole go into that a bit more in depth because they played for that specific ending uh, getting the good ending now even the knowledge that there there are bad and good endings or normal and special endings however you want to look at it um, that's not advertised anywhere as far as I know unless you look at achievements really I think that's the it's, only indication you get from it yeah it's right. an incredibly loose right. sort of morality system that's that's on the game that's you know it, it is there and you everyone will have experienced at least some of it but they were maybe unaware uh, that it r- runs on sort of flashes and and little sound bites um, but it, it's really mm. sort of a not in your face you know we've seen morality systems in so many other games like uh, you know Fallout 3 or or Mass Effect where mm. it's very clear um, this is really anything but so what's it involved? It's almost um, well it's it's almost the way I look at it is um you know, games like The Walking Dead have got a lot of sort of kudos for not shoving. It's not that they don't shove choice in your face, but it's that they handle choice in maybe a bit more of an interesting way. You know, games where the the choices are maybe a bit more organic, and it's not that in this case the choices aren't presented to you because the first one that I think everyone will have come across is um, there's a little boy in exhibition who offers to uh, is it exhibition. Mm-hmm. No, it might be the second place you go yeah. to. A little boy who offers to to take you a back route to someone who wants to see you, and uh, he puts his hand out, and up on the screen pops a prompt. So it's very clearly labelled as here is a choice. Uh, you can give this boy a, a, a gold uh, round yeah. a, a MGR, um, and he will take you there, or you can say no and find your own way. Um, and and that's a, obviously a choice a bit similar to in Fallout giving uh, a donation to the beggar outside. Uh, are you going to just be a, be generous with the the precious money you have and and help this kid out? Um, and what happens when you choose to give him, or in fact, if you no, just if you give him um, the screen very briefly and almost actually more subtly than than you might expect, flashes white around the edge, and that lets you know that you have done something that. Um, to the benefit of someone else, so you have you have made a, a good moral choice, if you like. Yeah, I think it's sort of a two tiered morality system, though, isn't it? You've got like the um, the 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 heavily favoured uh, good decisions, which is what you've mentioned, but there's also the very minor morality choices, which start as soon as you you know you start in your bedroom, and if you go and press on the guitar, that's a morality choice, and and little stuff like that, and there is so much of them, uh, these little flashes or these little sound bites that you may not actually be aware that they're sort of related to what you're doing because I mean there are a phenomenal amount in this game um, maybe what 20 a, 20 a chapter I would say oh, wow. maybe at the top end yeah yeah there's loads there, there is a lot to, sometimes you've got to try and knock on the door and listen to a piece of conversation or you've just got to wait next to some people while they're talking or you've got to go and interact as as Carl said with a guitar or, or uh, 
the situation I described is a really clear and obvious one that almost everyone will have come across. In fact, I think everyone has to because you have yes. to go that way. Um, and and the the degree to which the white flash comes up on the screen also changes depending upon how significant a, a moment it is, I think. Um, and the tone that's played uh, changes as well. Um, and a bit like in Mass Effect with the um, with the companion achievements, it's really sort of nebulous and ill-defined exactly how many of these you have to get in order to activate the the good ending. The safest thing to do is just get them all, because for some people you have to get them all. For other people, you can get through a bit, a few less of them, miss a few out and still get it. It's one of those things that usually uh, gamers are pretty good at working systems out, and this one just seems really... Uh, really obscure really it, it was really clumsy at the time that i played it i played it when it came out yeah. and i was i was heading for those achievements and there was two in particular there was the morality one and there's the explorer one and the explorer one runs on pretty mm. much the same method which was the description was explore most of the game um and my first playthrough is i thought i'd entered every room um and i didn't get it so on my second playthrough it was as simple as walk in and walk to every corner of every room and leave the <laughs> door and i ended up getting it maybe and 15 rooms the end, that's the ridiculous yeah, thing yeah and and it's sort of the same with the morality it's sort of get most of the morality but no one you know they didn't really ever put a number on it so no. there was there was never really a sort of um definitive guide for either of those two sort of achievements but um when this one was story related it was a bit of a shame that it wasn't you know we we said it was quite subtle but even with people who picked up on that there was no way to write a definitive list of this is what was needed. Nearly every guide you'll read is, it's probably you'll need this as well, so do that. And as James said, yeah. get them all. But they all sound quite Oof. passive. You know, is there any mm-hmm. that um, you know don't kill this person or... Um, no, I think, no, I think the, the most um, sort of negative or renegade or whichever one you want term you want to dub it is uh, towards the end of the game when you're progressing through the sewers and you see a woman um, in the sewers and she you can either give her some bullets to pay for I think is it medicine for a child um, and you can sort of pass up on that one and that that is maybe the the most you know blunt one for not helping someone in the whole game but the vast majority of incredibly subtle subtle things that you choose to do or not as a as a player that they pick up on um, and and the effect it has on the ending is so massive for these little moments to have accumulated towards. Well, I don't know if Leon did the same as me, but I I bypassed. I would have to say probably ninety percent of that that whole area of the game. So what we need to do, uh, we haven't issued a spoiler warning yet in this podcast. I'm sure regular listeners are aware that we do spoil games on Cane and Rinse. Um, we haven't really needed to issue that warning up until this point, but I think it's kind of important there's yeah a big difference isn't there between the regular ending that probably 95 plus percent of gamers will see especially on their first playthrough and the better ending it's not even that it's good or better it's it, yeah it's, yeah i guess yeah, it's, it's yeah. the regular yeah. ending and the sort of secret ending i suppose is the maybe the secret the, good the, idea the, yes the, the word the special yeah. ending but it changes the balance, the entire balance of what the story is. I think, anyway. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a, it's sort of it's a complete night and day difference between the two endings. Um, it's incredibly drastic, um, and surprising given that you know once again it came from a book and 
Uh, it's a franchise that can continue, that you sort of... Well, ultimately, the it had to end one way, and that's the way that the next game's continuing, but there was an option to sort of get the secret ending, which completely ruins anything that they could do afterwards. And that is essentially... Well, do you want to describe it, James? Um, well, I guess the, the standard ending for anyone who... who started the game but didn't get there is that all the way through uh, the game uh, you've realised that there are these dark shadows uh, in the tunnels um, and some of these are um, very, almost they almost look like um, Slenderman in, in the silhouette you know very tall very elongated very loping uh, silhouettes and they're referred to uh, in their corporeal form as, as dark ones that may or may not be an evolution of mankind to its betterment um, and almost the first thing that happens in the game is that Artyom realises that the um, soporific effect that they have on everyone else knocking them out whenever they're in their presence um, doesn't affect him certainly not as severely um, he's able to to maintain consciousness and uh, to a much greater degree so there is something different about him um, the regular ending uh, Artyom's mission is is to eventually to take a laser targeting system to the top of a tower where he can target what they believe to be the nest or the hive where the the dark ones are emanating from um i think that's roughly yeah it's true yeah the, it's the main beats of it yeah it's the d6 um, and, uh, missile launch tower for the uh, nu- for nuclear weapons one that's remaining okay. and essentially the the goal is to eradicate the the species using the same method that essentially brought them about so uh so that's the idea you set up the tripod with the laser targeting system and and set it to target the um the area that is believed to be this the sort of nest where the dark ones yeah the nest yeah um and at that point you enter a dream sequence the dark ones are chasing you down a tunnel and in the regular ending they are saying he's going to destroy us kill him get him etc etc uh, and you're running through this really just bizarre environment uh, where the the world is. Well, it's the is psychology of your mind, of you isn't it? And, that's and you've got yeah platforms to jump to, which isn't terribly great, but it is what it is. Well, it's how uh, um, how they they communicate you is through te- telepathy. So yeah, um, yeah, you're believing through most of the game that they're actually destroying your mind because you see more and more these flash flashbacks and all these intrusions to your mind and you're having a harder and harder time to cope with it so the time you get to the end there's one very big drawn out sequence of it almost feels like you're going insane um yeah communicating with you needing to to shoot what's clearly the the final kind of boss area the boss within your mind to to put this targeting device on there and, and finish the job yeah, so you you imagine that the dark ones are trying to stop you from setting this targeting system up, and they want to destroy you because they want to to eradicate mankind. Um, and so you make it to the end of that, and as Tony says, you kill the the dark one, which represents the final boss. Um, and then you watch as the targeting system is is activated, and the missiles destroy the the area. Just a few um, more nukes in the environment, guys. <laughs> like, it's not bad <laughs> enough. a few more nukes, nukes when the place is destroyed anyway? And and that's the end of it. You sit down at the top of the tower and watch the nukes hit this area and imagine a world without the dark ones who were who were going to destroy you. And and that seems like, in, in most games, you're fairly sort of 
that's your good ending, isn't it? Really, I suppose you've achieved your goal. The the enemy have been destroyed. You know, much in a Gears of War style way with the um, the uh, light mass bomb on the train uh, being sent into the nest of the locusts. Similar sort of thing. And I, th- I think most importantly is that this is the ending that is. You know, it's the yeah. canonical ending to the to the series. It's the one that's been taken into the second game, and and as we've said, it's almost certainly the one that the vast majority of players have actually experienced. Well, we'll save our thoughts on uh, how it all wraps up and everything for our summaries, but we must hear from uh, some correspondents. It's about time. Starting off with IMO. I still don't know if it's IMO or EMO. <laughs> Apologies. I'm going to say IMO. Who says, for me, Metro 2033 was the quintessential rough diamond. It was a game I paid no mind to for a long time and was very pleasantly surprised when I finally got round to playing it. There's nothing stunning about the shooting and it often actually feels like bullets are not having an effect, particularly on monsters. The need to charge batteries is a nice idea, but it's necessary far too often to the point of straight annoyance and the mask filter could often be frustratingly awkward. The game is, however, saved by its tone and style and the world and community within feel real and immersive. The tension is palpable and the conflicts and factions are well thought out. The story is well told and I for one really like seeing Russians as protagonists rather than terrorists and shady enemies. It's a nice change of pace. The gameplay styles were also well implemented with stealth being a viable and workable option. I'm sure many will disagree, but I also really like the narration, his voice fully portraying his post-apocalyptic somberness and resolve to simply save his home. So I'm there saying that stealth is a very viable option? I think for a, a good majority it is. I, I still question whether right. you can do the entirety of the game uh, being yeah. stealthy, but I mean, like I said, I used the ball bearing gun, which was essentially a nice uh, attacking stealth option. Don's Beard, it's a flawed gem. The atmosphere is fantastic and you really feel like you're in a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic environment. Having bullets as money is also a great mechanic as I once sold all my bullets to afford filters for my gas mask, meaning I had to stealth the whole next section. The gunplay isn't great but adds to the tension and does as does the air which keeps pushing you on. You can't afford to mess around. One of the sections, library I think, was terrifying. The story on the whole is excellent. It does get a little mad at one point. But it does make sense if you know what I mean. I was just going to quickly say, when did you want to cover the secret ending? Because we didn't actually detail what that was. Um, I mean, it, it, it's the way it stems through. I mean, the one of the one of the morality systems that we didn't mention was the fact that the first time that the the Nasalis uh, drop through the vents at the start, you get handed a gun, and if you don't shoot them, that's one of the major ones, and it stems through from stuff like that, doesn't it? From uh, he's trying to kill us to we just want to be friends, essentially. Um, but I can't remember what the I can't remember what the direct line of conversation is with the uh, dark one in the vision, because he says he's uh, trying to kill us, doesn't he? In the standard yeah, ending, so so he's trying to destroy us. We need to stop him. Is the standard ending, and and the voice as you're uh, going through the sort of um, the dream sequence at the end, uh, instead says um, he can hear us, uh, he can understand us, um, which is obviously a very different take on on why the dark ones may be trying to invade your mind. Mm-hmm. That's it. it becomes clear that they're trying to communicate with you, and you can actually walk towards him as well, can't you? You can actually, yeah, let sort of embrace it. Well, I mean, there is more, isn't there? There's the, sh- the shooting of the laser designation, and the, the, yeah. So the difference is that because of Artyom's realization that actually they're trying to contact him, they're trying to make peace with mankind uh, rather than attack. Um, therefore, 
at the end you can make either decision you can either leave the laser, laser targeting system to activate the the nukes or you can uh, shoot it off the edge uh, when you come out of the dream sequence you see uh, the dark one from your dream sequence reaching towards the targeting system trying to stop it uh, firing and if you shoot it off the edge uh, you see it break on the ground below and um, the voiceover then talks he sits at the edge of the tower and the voiceover talks about a realisation that Artyom's had that actually the Dark Ones aren't the enemy they don't need to be uh, destroyed and, and there is a future uh, he, he describes the future as being similar to the Metro Tunnels and that they, it goes on and on forevermore um, so a much more upbeat ending and it, it gives a whole different feel to all the um, the visions he's been having mm-hmm. throughout the entire game and, and and it gives some poignancy to why he is different in respect to his reaction to being near the Dark Ones. Uh, James, you want to take Magic Joe's? Yeah, Magic Joe F says, I first heard about Metro through some of development ties it had to Stalker, which is one of my favourite games. Although this is a very different experience to that game, the heavy atmosphere and moment-to-moment tension did feel familiar. This first time that you have to put on your gas mask and venture out will really stick with me. Um, I remember having quite an intense fight that first time and the use of sounds inside the gas mask was very absorbing. I had a few issues with the ammunition economy in the game. I think there was a good idea there and I like it uh, when games use scarcity of ammo to force you to try different things, but I never really felt there was a good way to manage my resources. I'm sure feeling out of control in that way was the point, but it sometimes pulled me out of the immediate experience when trying to second-guess where my next chance to trade would be. I couldn't help comparing Metro to Stalker, so I felt the lack of being able to explore much in this game was a shame, considering how good the environments were. However, I still think this was an engaging and different shooter experience, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Tadinho. I was really sceptical of this game at first, being a fan of the book. I could only see the story working in a survival horror format, but instead they were making an FPS. This and some of the reviews made me avoid the game until it was available for free, but even then I just got around to play it when I saw it was being covered on the podcast. I'm glad I did, or I might have missed out on a great game. They managed to capture perfectly the atmosphere of the book in my opinion. You're constantly on your toes and never sure of what's going to happen in the dark tunnels of the metro. The combat also helps reflect that when you're fighting humans you have to think before you act since a couple of the bullets are enough to get you killed. When fighting the mutants you've got to be fast on the trigger otherwise you'd be overwhelmed. All of this while keeping an eye on your bullet count, gas mask and health kits. I'm actually surprised that many people here like the story since I think it's the weakest part of the game. The atmosphere and the world are there but the characters are missing. In the book Artyom's a great main character but in the game he's a silent protagonist whose monologues between chapters never gave me much reason to care about him. The same happens with the other characters that barely get some screen time before disappearing and lose almost all of the charisma they had in the book. The main plot as a whole also lacks focus. Most of the time I felt I was only going from A to B for no real reason other than the game wanted me to. While I think the game fails a little as an adaptation, it excels as one of the most interesting first-person shooters I've played, and I really hope the sequel can pick up the good things about this game and improve on the story. Yeah, it's good to hear from somebody who knows the book, and uh, obviously, from his point of view, the game succeeds and fails in certain areas. I think you know, that's something that virtually everyone has to say about it. But yeah. And I think it's kind uh, of expected. There isn't much in the way of character development and the story as we've said. You kind of have to pick up between the shooting sections and through the voiceover and that sort of thing. 
Um, it's something that books can do incredibly well in games, depending upon how they're handled, not so well. But I think the the fact that that the atmosphere is captured is the important thing. I think what's interesting is as a, as a fan of the book, mm. he felt that the areas that weren't delivered upon were the ones that we assumed was the case. Um, you know, with the characters mm. and the lack of charisma and stuff. So, I mean, that, that's clearly they've not done a great job of implementing the great things about the uh, about the book, but they've still delivered something interesting regardless. Necky Mansur wanted badly to like Metro 2033. The teaser intro really drew me in. The setting was gorgeous in an exploded doom kind of way, and the characters were intriguing. I really enjoyed wandering around the settlements, listening to the conversations around me, and getting a real feel for the harshness of the life of a survivor. Travelling in between settlements was interesting too. I just really enjoyed the environments. But I found myself not enjoying the combat. But it's felt like they had almost no impact, especially against the monsters. But not enjoying the combat was fine because the environments were so interesting. Then they started putting in stealth sections. I'm not a big stealth gamer and didn't really enjoy the first few times it was forced on me. I say forced because ammo was so scarce that I felt like I had to conserve it for the monsters, especially since they typically couldn't be avoided and came in greater numbers. Then they put in a stealth section with a lot of holes in the ground to fall through and made the enemies gods at seeing you and finding you if you fire a single shot or fail a knife kill. I got so frustrated with this that I figured out how to turn on god mode to get through the segment. I really wanted to keep going and see more of the story and world and was willing to cheat to get on with the story. Eventually I got to a major combat sequence on the surface. The gas marks... Gas... The gas mask added a lot of pressure to surface exploration, which was kind of a mixed bag. The pressure really helped the tone the game was setting, but it also made it really punishing to do light exploration. I'm bad at finding hidden packs and bonuses, but just like to explore areas, so I was typically was kind of low on filters. At this point, the nearest town did not sell filters, despite the shouting shopkeeper saying, Filters here! I tried several times to get through the segment, rushing past them, slowly exploring to try and find any filters. I had under two minutes of filter time, no no luck no matter what I did. So I turned the god mode back on to explore carefully in the areas past where all the enemies appear. Turns out you can still die without filters on the god mode. So I tried to rush past them all and just get to the next safe zone. If you get shot enough with your mask on, it eventually breaks and you die, even in god mode. At this point, I was so frustrated with the game that I looked up the story on Wikipedia while it uninstalled. I desperately wanted to enjoy it, but the game got in the way of me enjoying this world. There were a litany of other minor things that bothered me with the game, but I was willing to overlook the vast majority of it just because the game's world was so damn interesting. Even my issues with the stealth and combat could be dealt with, but getting to a point in the game where I literally could not make progress, man, rage uninstall. I may go back to it to give it another shot sooner or later, but not any time soon. So what we learnt was that even God can be killed by gas. Well then, some three-word reviews from Twitter. And starting with um, James. Uh, Woodfella15 says, poorly executed vision. Tadinho, a pleasant surprise. Pirate Billy, I hope he's not a games pirate, says... Rubbish guns, literally. Now, <laughs> I, I knew a, you wanted this. is a bone of one. contention. <laughs> well, well, I hadn't. The funny thing is, it was Carl who pointed out uh, that it was a, a, an incorrect use of literally. But for some reason, when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. That's the game with the 
guns that Medium are made rubbish. of rubbish in them. <laughs> um, is that in any way no. true, or is it only Fallout 3 that has rubbish shooting I think there guns? are a couple of, of games that have done it in the past. I, I want to say something like maybe yeah. Toe Jam and Earl did something like that, maybe. But um... Idol Michael killed fourth Xbox. Neckymancer says, Amazing World. Ah. Uh, Dom's beard, flawed but worthy. And finally, Fury Ace, back to his best. Uh, well, not quite. No, I mean, that's not true because his best will never be beaten. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> back to his punning ways, shall we say, with bang or buck? Yeah, but a pun is a—is it wordplay? Word bang foot. Yeah. Okay. Well done, Fury. Well done, everybody. Thanks to all our contributors, as ever. Um, so let us each summarise as to whether how we felt about our time with the game and whether we'd recommend others to pick it up or play it from their pile of shame. James? I would recommend it, yeah. Um, in terms of its, its shooting, I think it doesn't do anything particularly uh, gripping, but what it does do is 4A have employed several different mechanics into this game that either haven't been seen before or or haven't been done quite this way before. You know, the, the notion of having bullets that you may not want to shoot because you might need to trade them later on. Um, I hadn't seen that in a game before. Uh, it may not have been implemented. I think of the systems they employ, that's the one that's implemented perhaps weakest in terms of it seemed to only have a negative impact on uh, on some people and no impact on others. It didn't seem to have a, a positive impact in any way. Um in terms of the filters and gas masks and and the hand cranking your your light uh, to charge your battery for your light rather uh, and to hand crank your pneumatic weapons, I I really enjoyed that. It brought attention to the game, uh, the atmosphere as well. Um, this we haven't mentioned the sound. Constantly, when you're moving around this world, there are sounds all around you that are informing you of what's going on and and misinforming you of what's going on. Uh, when you're in the tunnels, you can hear movement all around you all the time, putting you on edge, keeping you on your toes. You know, making sure that your your gun's fully loaded and you're ready to to take on whatever's around the next corner. It it's a game that that created a fantastic atmosphere. We mentioned the gas masks. In Bioshock 2, um, it had a physical uh, barrier around the edge of the screen which narrowed your vision. Personally, I didn't like that because it's removing screen real estate, I guess is the term. Um, in, in, mm -hmm. in this game, there was no physical barrier around the edge of the screen. You had the full screen. What they did was they, they put sort of, I, I guess, um, the condensation just blurring around the edge of the screen and the cracks on the screen didn't stop you seeing but they just made life a little bit more difficult for you without actually just being a border around the edge of the screen and it really added to the atmosphere for me uh, I loved uh, the moments when you went up above and had to put the gas mask on and had to manage your resources and had to be aware of everything that's going on around you it made everything so tense um, and I really hope that 4A stick to their guns on these systems they've put in um, and and really go for it and see if they can find a way to make that bullet economy work because it's it's nice to not nice it's not a nice <laughs> shooter to play it's a pretty grim and and uh, bleak shooter to play but it it made for a tonally very different shooter um, than than many of the the games that you can find out there and and I've got to applaud. 4A for, for doing that um, and I've got to applaud THQ for having seen the virtue in that 
and uh, it's just a shame that they couldn't uh, bring Last Light out, despite the fact it was finished before their mm, uh, demise. Their untimely demise, yeah. Tony, I, I don't. The combat never really sat right with me. Whether that be down to um, how how the weapons reacted, um, I'm not sure. But I, I didn't ever really enjoy playing the game, uh, which is a weird thing for me to say when I then say I highly recommend that most people give at least give it a chance. Because the environments are very, uh, I want to say unique, but the environments feel pretty um, special. Um, many other games, kind of, I, I, when it comes to post-apocalyptic, like there's not. I think too many games do the, the the fallout route, which is everything's just being flattened, and you know now there's a big area and here's the up, up, up crop of stuff here, and go and explore this one bit. Where I, I love that the fact that you've got the interlinking metro system in going above ground, and above ground is so atmospheric. Um, and I love the idea of its mechanics. As Jeremy said, I don't think they they all work, but um, they're fascinating. And even if they're slightly broken, you know, I, I still applaud them for for trying something different. And I'm just amazed that this game actually got out into more of a wider general public because it's the kind of thing I expect to see on PC. This weird, um, I think it's Czech, isn't it, for a that you know this. Czech game, you know, based on a Russia apocalyptic, and it's all, all these weird and wonderful systems, and many of them don't really work. But it's there. It was on the Xbox 360. It was being published. I remember Major Nelson talking about it. It was all over the place, and the fact that so many people actually got to try something that's a bit off kilter and doesn't actually follow just the same mold, um, I think, is actually a really important thing. Uh, for me, it doesn't land on all all its promise, but it's at least interesting and I think you know it's so cheap now to buy anywhere that you should probably at least give it a chance because if it does click it'd be one of those ones which you know ends up being in your top 50 for me the elements didn't really 100% click but uh, I I actually enjoyed what I played I just didn't enjoy playing it if that makes sense (laughs) Uh, yeah Ukraine uh, Russian uh, neighbours, mm. um, Soviet Union, former Soviet members. So yeah, not as far Czech, away as, okay. as Czech Republic. Uh, um, yeah, it's one of those games for me, which is uh, it's unusual in that there's a lot of games where if I see somebody praying, pra- praising something that I don't like to the high heavens, uh, or or hating on something that I love, I'm moved to intercept, <laughs> comment. Yeah. Um, Metro 2033, somebody could tell me it was the greatest game they've ever played, and I'd go, oh, cool, that's nice. Or somebody could tell me um, it was an absolute pile of shit and I wouldn't feel personally offended. Um, So I guess that means that I'm, yeah, somewhere in the middle with it. Uh, I definitely like a lot of the things it attempts. The atmosphere is good. As James said, it's nice that a game has, you know, tries some traditional mechanics and some other things and, and sets basically a, a shoot 'em up in, in a whole different kind of atmosphere. Um yeah, all the things that I think, you know, for I know they got wrong, they got they did get wrong. Um and that makes me really optimistic for Last Light, which is out very soon now. Um The Monsters <laughs> are rubbish, which is a real shame because the tension that's actually uh, evoked by the, the the sound and the gas mask and all that is palpable, and then the monsters kind of lumber in, looking ridiculous and kind of undermine the whole thing. Um, but overall, yes, exactly. You, it's a game that crops up on Steam for three pounds and and Xbox copies for a, a fiver. So, um, like Tony says, it's worth giving it a go. For me, in in 
in an ideal world of infinite time and where I was a more patient person, I'd really like to try to play it through on a harder setting, try and stealth it more, try and really get the full kind of survival horror potential out of it. Um, realistically, that's unlikely to happen. But the fact that I want, to, I, I have the desire to go back and do that suggests that, you know, there's there's something going on here. Let's conclude with uh, Carl. Metro 2033 is something that conceptually is very interesting. It, it does do things that other games haven't perhaps thought about or attempted or delivered as well. It has some flaws. Obviously, we've mentioned, I think we can all categorically say that the enemies are a massive disappointment. I think it's it's unusual that you'll get the panel so sort of committed uh, on one side on that and that that is a shame but in terms of uh, the game it, it is an interesting experience I think would I recommend it 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 depends what you're really looking for do you want if you wanted to try something that it does separate itself from the pack then yes absolutely if I do you want to play it as a first person shooter I could never recommend it over so many other brilliant first person games like the likes of Bioshock but it, the, the game has its moments it's it's stunning to look at. The lighting is, at times, jaw-dropping. Um, there's a there's a moment in particular in the in the subway the first time that you come into contact with the supernatural, and the, and the balls are coming through the tunnel um, mm. towards you, uh, and it and it lights up the tunnel is something that I'll remember for many years to come. Um, it's it, it's a shame really that you you feel that maybe experience or budget. Uh, perhaps got in the way of delivering something that that, that really could have been a, a, an absolute game changer on the market. Uh, as a game, I think I, the, the fairest thing I could say is that I was never happy playing the game. Um, it never tries to sell itself above anything other than its original target, and that is that it is a miserable world in a miserable situation uh, where your goal isn't a happy ending. And... I think in in terms of that, I I do applaud them. They attempted something that was relatively, you know, brave. They, they never sort of wandered from that, and uh, that's not a bad thing. We we always say in games that, you know, they should differentiate themselves, and we've seen many movies over the years that that will rave about uh, that weren't happy movies. We didn't enjoy watching them, but mm-hmm. you know, we we completely appreciate what they did and. And I, th- I think Metro 2033 is perhaps one of a few games that, that falls into that category. You you may not enjoy it. You certainly won't feel happy playing it. But you may just appreciate the fact that you tried it. All right, then. We've got a load of podcasts coming up between now and the end of Volume 2. Play along with us, if you will. Starting with XCOM Enemy Unknown, next issue. After that, Uncharted Drake's Fortune, then Shin Megami Tensei Persona 4. And then A Tale of Tales show with James, featuring games such as The Path, The Graveyard, Fatal, and what's the pronunciation? Bientolete? Bien yeah, absolutely. Nearly ah, okay. summer. That's what I thought. Uh, we mm. also have Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, Driver, San Francisco, our first driving game. Well, story-driven driving game at the very least. Uh, Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. Then it's Fez coming to multiple formats later this year. Aliens, Colonial Marines, <laughs> Dishonored, Minecraft. Tomb Raider, the 2013 version. El Shaddai, Ascension to the Matatron. DMC, Devil May Cry, and Deadly Premonition. 
Starwing and Lilat Wars, or Star Fox and Star Fox 64, if you're not in idiot pal land. Uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, managed to do it without going into a generic North and English accent there. And Fahrenheit or Indigo Prophecy, if you're American. Pour Your Hair Out, Super Meat Boy, L.A. Noir, Psychonauts, and Show 100 finishes off with a, well... Bang, damp squid. We, you, we'll, we'll decide on the show, I guess. Which will be Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain. Jay versus Sean in a battle to the death. <laughs> Sean! Sean! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a meme. That's not Carl supporting Sean. Uh, take a look at our quick rinse videos. Uh, more up all the time, courtesy of the Darrens and uh, not Josh at the moment, but also some from James. And uh, you can see them on the blog or on the YouTube channel, the Kane and Rince YouTube channel. Twitter, at Kane and Rince, of course. Facebook, Kane and Rince. New likes every week. We like the likes. And even better, we like your subscriptions, reviews, and ratings on oh, iTunes. reading them as well. Yeah. Uh, we've had, yeah, we've had some really, really nice ones recently. Thank you very much for those. We don't do name checks because it takes ages and it's boring for other listeners, but we do appreciate every single one we get, just like Take Heart used to appreciate every picture that was sent in. <laughs> but we can't give them back. for the kids. Yeah. Uh, check out the Cane and Rinse periodical, which can be found on the blog. You can check out the Cane and Rinse Minecraft server. Oh, and there's also a Daisy Origins server as well. Come along and join the Cane and Rinse community and have your say at the Cane and Rinse forum, which can be found at caneandrinse.com forward slash forum. And all this and more can be found on our website, which has obviously been found at caneandrinse.com. It just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, James Carter and Carl Moon. And we'll be back with XCOM next week. Until then, goodbye.
Вставай, проклятим заклеменный, Весь мир голодных и рабов. Кипит наш вазум размущенный, И в смертный бой вести готов. Это есть наш последний и решительный бой.